Howdy, welcome back to the BP Movie Journal uh, type episodes, the, uh, the 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 other the other kind of episodes where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these type of episodes. I'm David. I'm Tyler. That's what the intro is now. Um, <laughs> let it be known from this day forth. Uh, that is the intro, and also this is part of the intro. Right, no, from, no from this day forth, it. from this day forth. Uh, you know what I've seen recently? What's that? Let's start with a phenomenal film okay. that I saw this past Sunday. Um, I'm so I was so excited to see it. This is I I am a person because I am a skeptic. Mm. I try to avoid words like pessimist or cynic or misanthrope. Mm-hmm. And stick with skeptic, but I kind of am all those things. I don't yeah, like. You can I, throw an asshole. There's well, a lot of that's options. Covered there. under misanthrope. Misanthrope <laughs> is just a fifty cent word for asshole. Um, uh, uh, I love when your Midwest comes out. It's like, oh, that fifty cent word. Um, so I try not to get too excited about movies because mm-hmm. I don't like to be let down. But I couldn't help but be excited for. Because the director, the stars, the subject material, the 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 source material, the book by the or the, you know the author of the source material, and all the reviews I'd read, I could not help but be excited for Todd Haynes' Carol. Ah, yes, okay. And I saw it, and it more than lived up okay. to what I wanted it to be. It's this is the kind that this it's it's certainly easily one of the best movies of the year, and it's the kind of movie that we all want because it's like, I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's like a four quadrant movie because it doesn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, kid stuff in it. I guess it's got tits, right? So is that kid stuff? I mean, I guess if you you go young enough, by by kid, I meant like teenagers. Oh God. Okay. Teenage boys. Cause most movies, this is a three quadrant movie because Hollywood spends nine months of the year <laughs> making movies specifically for that fourth quadrant, right, right. which is teenage boys. Yeah. But this one does have tits in it. All right. Um, I'll take what I can get anyway. Uh, but it's, if you're a, you know, um, uh, 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 a snobby formalist type of, uh, analytical filmmaker, you know, theory, you want to talk about theory and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's got all that stuff. But if you also are a traditional, give me a great story with great characters and great themes, it's got all that stuff too. And it's beautiful. And it's, David, uh, this is funny. our favorite movie of the year. It it's sounds like so good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not actually my favorite movie of the year. I still have a different one on my number one slot. Okay. Um, but it is, I think it's right now. It's my new, number two slot. Okay. Uh, I can't see it budging that much, but um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen uh, the peanuts movie yet. Um, it's supposed to be good actually. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, but um, Carol is a beautiful cinematic experience in the sense that it's what, Again, it's what when people talk about like old timey movie magic, not old timey as an antiquated, but mm-hmm. like old fat, like classical movie sure, magic, sure. like the way that this when you're the movie feels like a warm place to spend two hours. Not that mm-hmm. it's necessarily pleasant the whole time, but it's so fully realized. Yeah. And it is so uh, honest and in some ways realistic without being like that, you know, hard nosed gritty realism. It's also uh, a movie where it's an, it's an alternate world that you're stepping into and everything about the movie is so, so pitch perfect. Well, it certainly stands Uh, to reason give it given Todd Haynes and and his his history. I mean, um, and you've got, uh, you've essentially got a great, uh, I remember this is a weird thing that has always stuck with me. Okay. An interview with Tom Sizemore about natural born killers. Uh, all right. And Oliver Stone bringing him in and being, and at that point he had already cast Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, um, Robert Downey Jr. And Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. And so Oliver Stone was like, look, I have a good solid table with four legs right now. Yeah. Like, and him basically saying to Tom Sizemore, like, don't be a wobbly leg here. And so I always, whenever like a movie has four, like Hmm. big performances in it that are all great. I always think of that metaphor of like a sturdy table, like network. Uh, who, who are the four in network? You got your William Holden, Uh Faye Dunaway, Peter Finch, Mm -hmm. Robert Duvall. There you go. That's not Um, even mentioning 
Ned, Ned Beatty, Beatty yeah. and Beatrice Strait. Ned Beatty is the Tom Sizemore of Ned. Uh, oh, no, no question. question. No and question. Beatrice Strait is the Rodney Dangerfield. Um, <laughs> who's also a natural born That's killer. That's right. I always um, forget. Yeah. Ned. The two leads are brilliant. Uh, Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara doing, I mean, in they're such, they're such accomplished actresses that, uh, mm-hmm. that it's hard to say it's career best, but they're doing among the best work. I don't know. Career. I just saw Rooney Mara in pan. Okay. I don't know. She's pretty good in that. I don't know what to tell you about that. Um, I, yeah, I forgot that she was in. Wow. Okay. So she, she's good in it, but you know, whatever. Kate Blanchett has been good and great in two movies this year with Cinderella. That's right. And she also was in truth. The she movie sure truth. was. Um, anyway, uh, Kate Blanchett, and Rooney Mara, but you've also got holding up their end of the table, Sarah Paulson and Kyle Chandler. Oh, okay. Uh, f- a- a- actors I have long really admired, um, and have done most of their more notable work, I think on television in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, not notable in terms of, um, that their film work has been bad, but I mean, uh, they're known more, I think for their television work. It, it Kyle Chandler's odd in that he has received, uh, Emmys or at least one Emmy for, uh-huh. fr- I mean, he became somebody that people loved for Friday night lights, but I think for whatever reason, people see him primarily as a TV actor, but I feel like he's got, he's got movie star looks. He has a certain degree of charisma. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why he hasn't broken well, through. And when he has been in movies, um, he's often been sort of the, you know, uh, administrative or authority figure in mm-hmm. a suit, you know, um, like, wasn't he in like Argo? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, he was a lot of fun in King Kong. I know you don't like that movie, but he's fun in that. I should go back and, well, I don't know if I have time to go back and watch that. Yeah, it's um, a commitment. But I don't think I was a, that familiar with him at the time, so mm. it probably didn't stick out. Um, but all four of them are are fantastic, and they really sort of, uh, again, to go back to what I was saying before about this being different things, like all things to all people in a lot of ways, um, it uh, it's... It's a it's very much a director's movie mm-hmm. in that Todd Haynes gets to show what he's great at in terms of the um, uh, lush tactile melodrama thing. Yeah. But it's also very much an actor's movie in which you get the impression that Todd Haynes is almost taking his cues yeah. from the performers. Uh, and it is, I'm not a guy who gets that I've talked about before, gets that wrapped up in performances. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I recognize when they're good, but it's uh, I, I, it's hard to, for me to be enraptured by them, I guess. Um, but this is a really, really great movie. And I feel like, do you ever, I think I'm prone to hyperbole sometimes. Like, I, okay. I, I like to, not even, I know I'm doing it, almost like as a rhetorical mm-hmm. thing to say, this is the greatest thing ever, right. when it's like, okay, obviously it's not. Yeah. Um, but I just do it like to get my point across. But sometimes I really think like, it's sort of like with the TV show Hannibal. Like, okay. Hannibal has just ended. How long do I have to wait before I can put it in my top five TV shows of all time? Because it might be like number two. But I feel like I need to wait. Yeah. <laughs> like, just out of respect. Um and I don't want to, I know I used the word, I've used the word tits three or four times now. I don't want to act like I was doing it jokingly yeah. uh, in terms of like appealing to uh, teenage boys. I don't want to come across as purient in this when I say that the uh, centerpiece sex scene oh, okay. in Carol is one of the greatest sex scenes that I've ever seen in my life. Okay. And I the, thought you were about to say, look, I don't want to be like one of these teenage boys, but I will say tits are the best thing ever <laughs> look everybody loves them yeah i'm in favor really, that is yeah. true everybody's a fan <laughs> at some point um, in your life you've loved them yeah not everyone was a fan of that word that i keep using yeah but I, I, I didn't like saying it um uh, it's I, I i it is less offensive to me than the word that most people use most of the time which i despise that childish word with the two o's in the middle oh yeah Ugh. well that one it just that sounds movie, that, so... or that song that not movie or song that word it grosses me out. See it to me. It just seems like it. it sorry, everybody. This is a weird conversation. Now. No, this is I feel, like, I feel like it reduces them to such a degree that they are, they're not a sexual thing. They're not right. a life giving thing. They're like, they're just boobs. Yeah. Like, it's, just, like, it's so, it's so demystifies them, I guess. You know what? I, Things you take seriously don't have that many B's. Yeah. Or two O's. Or two middle. O's. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I like noodles. Doom. 
I guess Doom, sure, Doom. Is, should be taken seriously. Okay. But, um, uh, anyway, see that got, uh, sorry, we, we took it right to where I didn't want to take it. Um, cause I really do want to mention like, again, that this is like, it's classical in the sense that it has a sex scene that actually is emotional and serious and adult, not in the porn way, but adult, mm-hmm. uh, a sex scene that like, it's not, I mean, it's, I guess it's not, not titillating. It is very beautiful, but it right. also like, I, it's the sex scene. I almost wanted to cry. It's so powerful. Sure. Um, yeah. and I, uh, I really feel like I'm, uh, overselling Carol, but I'm just one voice of me. Well, let me don't, you know, I'm not the only person out there. <laughs> well, thanks for letting everybody. I'm just know. saying like, don't go into a movie yeah. with, uh, like, I hope people aren't going to movies expecting to feel exactly how they've heard me describe a movie right. when yeah, I, yeah. when I write a review or when I, um, uh, when I talk about it on the movie journal, uh, you know, I hope people, are perhaps inspired to see a movie they might not have seen. Yeah. And I hope they take my thoughts under invi- advisement, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, I, I, cause I get an, uh, I, I get a little bit annoyed by this idea that you can like oversell a movie that it's like, Oh, I didn't like that movie because it had been too many people had said it was too good and I wasn't able to like it on its own merits. I don't, I don't think that's really, I mean, I think maybe I'm a, giving people too much credit, but I don't really think that's how people watch movies. I think there's a, you're giving two people too much credit, but, uh, I'm, but you know what? I'm being cynical. <laughs> um, uh, misanthropic, pardon me. I'm, you know, I'm from the city now. And so, uh, the, <laughs> I do wonder if maybe you can oversell elements of a movie, like certain elements that one could say are objectively, maybe not actually, maybe this isn't actually the case, but that people could see as objectively one way. Like, you know, I could talk about, oh, this movie inspired me. People are inspired by all kinds of different things, so I don't expect certain movies to inspire certain people, and they shouldn't expect it either. But if you say a movie scared you, almost everybody can agree on what the idea of scary is. And so uh, I feel like it happens a lot with horror movies uh, and comedies where... People know what it is to laugh. People know what it is to be scared. And so when you say this was very scary and someone says it wasn't that scary, you know, you oversold it. You made it sound like it was terrifying. You know, um, that was the issue with the, the Babadook. A lot of people, you know, William Friedkin says it's the scariest movie he's ever seen. Yeah. And now everyone goes in feeling angry at the movie for not being as scary as what they think scary is. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, but that's there. That's on them. Yeah. Sorry. Here's what I meant to say is not that we can oversell it, but that a person might, I think a person is probably more likely to feel like they have been oversold on something when it comes to specific elements, as opposed to a movie on the whole. But again, that maybe that's you and I, uh, giving people too much credit. I don't know. Um, yeah, I've been, yeah. Cause that's subjective. Obviously. So I, I do want to, I want to ask this and I know we have to move on. We got a lot of stuff to get to, but, um, yeah, the other stuff won't take as long as okay. Carol cause I didn't like it as much. So have you ever, okay, this is how I felt with bridge of spies to a point. There are movies that are, that feel for lack of a better term. And I'm not saying this cause we're talking about a Todd Haynes movie movies that feel safe. Uh-huh. <laughs> By which I mean, I feel like I am so firmly in the hands yeah. of, of of not even a master filmmaker, but somebody who knows what they're doing and knows what they want. And it's direct and it's it. They're not always period pieces, but they tend to be because that means they're creating a whole uh, they're creating a world. And the more thoroughly they create that world, the safer I feel. Even if what's happening within that world makes me feel unsafe, I at least feel like I'm not on shaky ground artistically. And that for me, that winds up manifesting itself emotionally. Mm-hmm. With Bridge of Spies, I think I might have felt that too much. Um, do you know what I mean? I don't know. That's that might be. Yeah. It's a thing I have a I hard time explaining. Maybe we people. should put a pin in that oh, okay. for later in the conversation. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Fair enough. Um, because you just said something that's going to come up again. All right. Um, moving on. Uh, this won't take nearly as long. I saw Antoine Fuqua's Southpaw. Oh, okay. Um, I was, I, I know, I know what the reviews had been, but I was excited to see it because mm-hmm. I have been an Antoine Fuqua defender um, for a long time. Uh, and again, and, what is that based on? I'm not saying you shouldn't be, but like, 
training day, obviously. Training day, certainly. Uh, shooter is the other big one. That's right. Yes, um, I always forget about that. Yes. And then um, I think uh, his, at least the, I never saw the theatrical cut, but his director's cut of King Arthur is not great, but it is, uh, it's, I appreciate it's not worthy of the dismissal that it garnered. I've only seen the director's cut. Um, and I'll say this, uh, it would have been super easy to phone in a King Arthur movie mm-hmm. and he didn't like, yeah, and, he, well, he, he never phones anything in. Yeah. But, um, so this is coming from an Antoine Fuqua, uh, fan. Mm-hmm. Southpaw was not the movie for him. Okay. Because he tends to be, um, very, uh, I think cinematic in a way that is superficial, but also with stuff under the surface that people don't give him credit for. Mm -hmm. But what I mean by that is that he tends to make things outsized. Oh yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this was not the movie for that. Um, the, the, the screenplay, or at least the structure of the screenplay, seems to be fighting Antoine Fuqua's impulses. Mm. Because it's, a, it's an over two-hour movie that takes... It, it, it has some corny you know, contrivances and stuff in the screenplay and some, some dialogue that uh, um, doesn't need to be there. Uh, but in terms of its structure and how long things take to unfold... Right it could have used a more patient director, uh, someone a little more of a down to earth realist. Um, and so I definitely found the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 I guess the falseness of Antoine Fuqua, which I don't mean as a pejorative because I think it works in a lot of, um, cases. Uh, it, it didn't, it seemed to be at, at odds with the content. It also seemed like, I don't know if these were studio notes or whatever, but um, like there's some stuff that didn't need to be in there. that They're clearly just spoon feeding the audience. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't trust the audience. It's remind. there's a part that in uh, this, ha- this is an example of something that happens more than once. You saw they came together, right? Yes. So you remember every time it would cut further into the year mm-hmm. in that movie, the way they established what holiday it was is you'd be at a party and you'd hear people saying it's Halloween. It's Halloween, <laughs> yeah, <so."> yeah. <laughs> which is a great joke, but there's like, so there's a part, um, where Jake Gyllenhaal's character in South Park gets, um, his, he, he runs out of money because his wife died and she mm-hmm. balanced things and he was terrible with money and, uh, he can't really fight anymore. And so he's spent all his money and he's been warned multiple times that his goods are going to be repossessed. And so there's a scene where he's sitting outside his house while people are packing up stuff uh, and putting it in truck. Like workers are packing up his stuff and putting it in trucks. And there's like ADR of the workers saying, yeah, all this stuff is going to auction. It's like, <laughs> we have been prepared. We understand where they're taking this stuff. There have been at least two different scenes do they where think, this has been foretold. Do they think audience members are being like, oh, is he moving to a nicer place? <laughs> Are things turning around for him? Yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, auction. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so that's too bad. But, uh, I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is continuing his trend of being a just a really committed actor mm-hmm. um, to the point where early in the movie, before you know, when he's... Yeah, for the first half of the movie, he's punch drunk, um, it's a boxing movie. Have I said that? I um, think people know that. Yeah, I think people know he's that. He's punch yeah. drunk and is self-medicating and is, he's like, he's like, you know how Sylvester Stallone mumbles in Rocky. It's yeah. like that times 10. He's like hmm. monosyllabic and almost un-understandable. And hmm. it's like, I'm really glad Jake Gyllenhaal's committing to this, but it's not necessarily pleasant. Yeah. Uh, it's and, like, uh, what's the and name? it's weird again, again, once again, weird against the sheen of Antoine Fuqua's uh, presentation. What are you saying? It's like Timothy Spall and Mr. Turner. Did you ever see Mr. Turner? <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one for Where me. It's just like so much yeah. mumbling and, and it's like, good for you, man. You know, we're here too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's fine. Yeah. I enjoy Mr. Turner to a point, but, and then the third and final new move, new, new to me movie, um, that I saw is a documentary called Peggy Guggenheim art addict. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a documentary about Peggy Guggenheim. 
who led a fascinating life coming from a famous family um, and uh, being, uh, she's jokingly referred to as the one of the poorer Guggenheims, which she's still, like she's still an incredibly wealthy person, but she's not she's not from like the main like um, when you think of like the Guggenheim Museum right. in New York, that's like her uncle, like that's that's mm-hmm. the main like the big Guggenheim family. She's yeah. the other Guggenheim family, um, uh, and she led an interesting life. Uh, she's in the movie makes a good case that she that a debt is owed to her, uh, for sort of the mid century, um, uh, popularization and proliferation of modern art that she mm-hmm. was someone who, uh, as a patron and as a gallerist and as a collector took modern art seriously and, um, created galleries and museums for it, uh, before other people did. Um, there's one story that told of like her building the collection that became like the root of her collection in 1940 in Paris, 1940, Whenever, right before the uh, Germans invaded uh, Paris, I don't remember when that was exactly. But um, in the weeks before, like buying this art to take back to New York to save it, and she bought 125 pieces for a total of forty thousand dollars, and not one of those pieces on its own today would be something you could buy for forty thousand dollars. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Like this is this is like a billion dollar collection, uh, and um, she sort of rescued it because uh one of the most interesting parts of the movie though it's very brief is how much hitler hated modern art to the point where he in munich there was a uh a show at a Mm -hmm. museum called degenerate art where it was like something like 650 pieces of modern art that he had collected and displayed but for the purpose of showing people this is not art this is not good (laughs) so people could pay to go see a show of stuff they were supposed to hate all right look i know we all already agree hitler wasn't a great guy what a dick Mm -hmm. it just like that's (laughs) but it's one of those things just like boy that makes perfect sense a fascist it does seem like a fascist would not be the most open-minded artistically yeah and a frustrated artist um yeah uh but unfortunately the movie itself uh is pretty much skin deep like you learn it works as a good sort of uh primer on modern modern art you know i'm not a student of modern art. Mm. I know, uh, a few of the big names. Um, but there are, you know, there's a heavy focus on important pieces and descriptions of the artists who made them and what else they did. So that it's interesting from that point of view, but as a portrait of Peggy Guggenheim, I don't know. I go into more detail in my review on the website, which I would recommend checking out. Um, I'm happy with it. (laughs) Um, but, uh, as a portrait of Peggy Guggenheim, it is, uh, skin deep. Okay. All right. You got a, you got some stuff you rewatched. Why don't you talk about one of those things? Yeah. Um, well, I'll rush through just to, to plug this. So I did once again watch Whiplash because... Whiplash? Oh, whiplash. Um, in that... Uh, so at Azusa Pacific University, there was a screening and a panel that I moderated. Uh, you can hear that panel at morethanonelesson.com. It was, it's about 50 minutes long. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself. Um, I have nothing new to say about whiplash anyway. Um, but yeah, so on Halloween as, uh, Jen was getting her costume together and I was folding laundry and that sort of thing. Uh, we just threw on a couple of movies. And, and what, so, were you, what were you dressed as at the time? At the time while I was folding laundry, yeah. like me, oh, I just looked okay. like me. All right. I didn't wear my Halloween costume all day long. <laughs> okay. Not some kind of psychopath. Okay. You know. Um, but when the time came, do you know what I was for Halloween? Uh, no, I have no idea. Oh, okay. When the time came, Jen was an adorable Pippi Longstocking. Saw and that I, picture. I did not match my uh, outfit to hers. I was dressed as a blockbuster employee. <laughs> <laughs> I had to dig into some boxes. I found my shirt. I had to buy some new khakis and I found my name tag that said t- uh, blockbuster Tyler manager. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's what I was. That's a great costume. And I tell you when I put it on, I was like, huh, huh. <laughs> it just, I had such a reaction to it. Uh, it was cause immediately I was just like, Oh, I don't look, like I've gotten any older, like I feel like I'm 25 again when I quit. But anyway, um, so one thing we watched was... Do you really feel like you're... I have this conversation with my wife sometimes. Okay. And I 
still essentially think of myself as a 25 year old. And I'm wondering when that get, will get sad. Like when we, if we go to like a bar or a concert, that's mostly people in the mid twenties, I look around and to me, those are people my age and it's like, and my wife is like, no, we're not, we have aged out of this group. I'll we're s- not in our mid twenties anymore. Yeah, okay. Here's, here's a story from Azusa Pacific university. Um, where Jen and I couldn't help but refer to the audience because they were all college students. We didn't say this to them, but as we were referring to them, we just said kids. Yeah. Because they think, look like little kids. But they're students. Like that's and students that's are pretty kids. yeah, that's pretty okay. normal. But here's something that happened. I was uh, you know, whenever I'm going to and I know that a panel is not necessarily performing, but it's being in front of people. Um, so anytime I'm going to be in front of people and especially in this case, cause I was leading the discussion, um, while the movie was going on, I slipped out for a moment and sat quietly outside the, the room, uh, on a bench and, uh, some girls walked by and sat across from me. They sat on the floor and I was, uh, and then one went to the bathroom or something like that. And I guess I looked rather despondent. Because uh, I was just, I wasn't looking at my phone or anything. I was just sitting and thinking and kind of, you know, grounding myself. And these were, these were like 19 year olds. They're like, what's wrong with that guy? He's not looking at his phone. <laughs> I did have that thought, <laughs> yes. Uh, but here's what happened. Uh, did one of them come and say, did you lose your phone? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to use my phone? Um, uh, but no, the, the girl that uh, was sitting there, you know, ble- bless her heart. She was very nice, but she's like, are you okay, sir? And I said, Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. And I was like, sir. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> you know, uh, like I feel like she wouldn't say that to someone, obviously her own age. Right. right? Yeah. I guess we're, we're not, sirs now. We're not kids anymore, but I will still continue to think of myself as a, uh, well, I didn't think 20, of myself at that age. I'm going to say, I think I'm 27. I could see 27 out of you. No okay. question. I don't know. Ugh sir anyway sorry moving on okay so you watched some, most of whiplash again yes and then uh jen and i on halloween we watched two movies we watched one that has nothing to do with halloween which is saving mr banks which is a movie that deserves to be seen it is cheesy as hell yeah at time did you see it yeah i, I didn't like it because of the cheesy stuff you're incorrect but it's <laughs> no it's it is like there, I, you know undoubtedly but within that you've got really good performances and you have suggestions of things. Mm-hmm. That's what I like. You don't, this is not a film you go in expecting like, okay, Walt Disney is going to look totally lovable and cuddly and that kind of thing. And he is friendly, but you see, you know, scenes of him smoking, but you also see he is manipulative. Mm-hmm. He gets what he wants. He's kind of megalomaniacal. Mm-hmm. Then you see, pardon me, PL Travers, and she is also there, you know, I went in expecting her to be, Oh, this lovable curmudgeon, which she is. But there are also times I'm like, Oh, like I'm genuinely frustrated with her. And there are other things. And we did an episode about saving Mr. Banks on more than one lesson. Just talking about like, there's a, a running theme throughout the film of people that have been wounded one way or another, mm-hmm. you know, even, even BJ Novak's character who is not, a, f- a really well-developed character, but there's a, mo- he walks with a cane and he has a limp and she asks, you know, why does he have that cane? And they said he was shot. Like he was shot in the war and it's just in little moments like that. And Paul Giamatti, uh, and then a, a beautifully delivered monologue by Tom Hanks at the end. Do you like to imagine that BJ Novak's character in saving Mr. Banks is his character in inglorious bastards? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think it was Bobby. He was Bobby Sherman or was he Richard Sherman? I don't remember. I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, one of those was, you know, one of the bastards. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but yeah, so you just get these people that you, you think of them one way and then more is revealed underneath. And so when I think about that, the sentimentality is, is okay with me because in the end, I feel like it's a movie that's all about the polish that we that we see around us, mm-hmm. even if it's uh, something the person has self applied. And then you realize, oh boy, no, there's way more underneath that. You know, even Walt Disney talks about his 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 father with the strap in his hand, forcing his son to go and deliver papers in the snow, wherein it's so cold that he's actually passing out as an eight year old. Like 
he tells that story. That's not an easy story to hear, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know. It's it, but even the sentiment, the sentimental parts and the cheesy parts I watched, I'm like, Oh, come on. But that, I feel like that feeling is almost, and maybe I'm giving John Lee Hancock too much credit, but I don't think so. Cause he did the Alamo and that gets a lot of credit with us. He also yeah. did the blind side, which I don't like, right? but, but um, the Alamo was a good movie. Yeah. And the rookie, that was a good one. I didn't see that one. It's good. You should check it out. But the, I don't know. I feel like he's a, uh, somewhat of a savvy enough director to know that the the more we roll our eyes at the cheese, the more effective it will be when we see that there's some really, some genuinely dark, complicated emotional stuff underneath. I don't know. It's but it really got me. I, I, I have trouble um, reconciling my feelings with that. My feelings about that movie with things that I think I feel about movies, which oh, okay. is that I've often said that movies based on history don't have to be um, completely faithful. They right, have yeah. to be a good movie. Yeah. But the disconnect between how P.L. Travers feels by the end of that movie mm-hmm. about Mary Poppins, the movie, yeah, and how she did in real life is to me, A, it doesn't make the movie better, and B, it's too insulting for me to overlook. And I don't care. Um, no, no, that's <laughs> and, not true. That's, that's not true. And that, that's that's not normally true. how I feel about the, these sorts of things. But this one specifically seems so like pointedly disrespectful of a woman who felt disrespected by the company that made this movie. Oh, sure. All her life. It seems like a slap in the face and I find it hard to overlook. And I feel like uh, when I said I don't care, you know, that's the thing that I, I want to try and not say I've been having that conversation with a few people lately mm-hmm. about a true story and a movie not being totally faithful to that story. And I'm usually rather flippant about saying like, well, who cares? You know, that's, I generally am too. Yeah. But so what that's I, will why say, I say, I have trouble reconciling myself. And what I will say is that, uh, one thing that I went in expecting, I, I had a lot of expectation when I went to, went into the film the first time, a lot of the things that I was expecting, I was really expecting, that the Disney character would be so positive that any win that he has is a win for us Mm -hmm. in the, but in the same way, I remember there's a, I had this moment. It's one of my favorite moments of the dark night when the joke, there's that big accident where the truck flips over and yeah. it's accident doesn't, that's not the right word. Um, no, Batman did it on purpose. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. It was intended premeditated. Yeah. Uh, and the truck flips over. And up until then, though we are theoretically on Batman's side, we also like watching the Joker and we kind of like watching the Joker get what he wants, mm-hmm. or at least that's how I feel. But in that moment he gets out and he like stumbles and like fires off like the machine gun as he does. Like he's stumbling around, he's wounded and we're kind of laughing and we're laughing at the Joker, mm-hmm. not with him. And I remember being like, good, because this character is way too charismatic and we need to be against him mm-hmm. from sometimes. And in that same way, there are times when the film itself, it is on her side when she has these moments of triumph. And now, of course, it does not end that way. And that is a thing that bums me out. But at the same time, where I reconcile that is that in the end, she may have felt disrespected and I, and I feel bad about that. But in the end, we still, uh, an argument could be made that she was wrong. I guess we don't know because we'll never see her version of the movie. Exactly. And that, and that, and that is a bummer. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see somebody and that, and the film, the Disney film is so definitive. I don't know if anybody's ever going to try and adapt, uh, Poppins. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's, um, I hope everybody likes Disney cause we're staying in that realm. Oh, okay. Um, I rewatched, uh, inside out. Oh, all right. And it was great again. I almost don't have anything to say about it. Um, yeah. because I, I really loved it. Uh, and, uh, I really loved it the first time. I really loved it this time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You've just seen it the once, right? And we already I've talked seen about it. Once. it. I, uh, I was at target. I almost bought it and I feel like I probably will. Um, I almost feel like that's not one I'm going to return to very often because it's just so emotionally draining. I no, I could definitely like it's. I really think, in the same way that I, I have a hard time with it, Toy Story three as well. Yeah, but that's also one that I could watch again in a second. Uh, maybe that's just me. 
going back to this idea, like I was talking about Carol having one of the best sex scenes ever. And it's like it too early to say, um, there's also an idea like we over, well, you revisit your like personal lists. Mm-hmm. Like these aren't things that exist in your head. You actually have lists. Right. Um, but do you ever like have something that like, I've been saying for so long that Finding Nemo, I think, was my favorite Pixar movie mm-hmm. that I kind of haven't examined that in a while. Oh, interesting. You know? And I yeah. still think it's great, but I don't know. And maybe I just need to rewatch it, but I don't know. Like, I feel like since Finding Nemo, there's been both Toy Story 3 and Inside Out, that I think if I'm being honest, just reacting purely to my own emotions, I think both of them are better than Finding Nemo. I also, th- I, I love the Incredibles and I actually think the Incredibles is better than finding Nemo and uh, Wally. I love Wally as yeah, well. See, Wally's not. Yeah. That's not for me. Um, my, my, my favorite, uh, Toy Story movies are, Toy Story, Pixar movies are definitely Toy Story one and three finding Nemo Incredibles. Um, and I guess inside out, but I feel like there's gotta be something else that I love in there, but I'm not huge on Wally or up or monsters Inc or monsters university or Ratatouille. Uh, or Ratatouille. I never saw the cars movies or planes. That's not um, officially a Pixar movie. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a Disney movie. Um, what else am I missing? A bug's life. Bugs life. That's that's been a, it's been a long time. Yeah. So I don't really remember it. That, that is definitely bug's life is it's weird to say minor Pixar. Yeah. Did you see brave? Uh, yeah, I liked brave. brave is um, right. It's not, it's not a top fiver, but yeah. it's, um, it's above I, to me. I, I, I think I'm probably in the minority, but I would put brave above Wally and up and Ratatouille. But I think a lot of people like those movies more than I do. I go, I always return to brave just cause I think it's so damn gorgeous. Like yeah. I, I love the way it looks, but, um, anyway. Okay. So I've completely forgotten. What did you see inside out inside out? That's yeah. right. And I don't really have much more to say about it. Um, than, than that, I guess. I need to rewatch it and see if my problems with it persist. They have lessened in my head. But, uh, and, well, the, st- and be, the stuff that I do respond to has grown. This will be a segue. Okay. Sometimes when there's a movie that's well-made and there's stuff you don't like, mm-hmm. the second time you watch it, you're less bothered by the stuff you don't like. Cause you sure. know, it's already there. Yeah. Case in point. I also revisited bridge of spies. Oh, okay. Just yesterday. Oh, okay. Um, I still have some problems with, uh, and most of those problems, those probably the problems that I have with the movie are almost entirely relegated to the second half. Yeah. Um, but I found them that they bother me less. Um, I still think here are the main problems. Um, any scene that doesn't have Tom Hanks in it kind of feels perfunctory to me. Like, okay. Are there, are there scenes without Tom Hanks? Yeah. It's like, Oh, we have to show you what happens to Francis Gary powers in order to, in order to oh, get the story to where it is. No question or with Frederick Pryor. Like we have to show you these guys getting captured and all this stuff yeah. in order to get to where Tom Hanks needs to be. And so it does feel like, um, with the exception of the prologue, the nearly wordless prologue, which mm-hmm. doesn't have Tom Hanks in it, uh, and is fantastic. Yeah. Um, cause Mark Rylance is just the best. Um, and any, any, anything else I don't like that much. And then near the end, there's a couple of things I don't want to, I don't want to spoil, um, stuff, but I think we talked about this before, um, that I think was something you actually responded to that when he's in East Berlin, he sees some people shot and killed trying to climb over the wall. And then when he's back in Brooklyn, he sees kids playing and just jumping over the neighbor's fence. And right. it's a, it's so, I responded to it because it's just like, well, that's obvious like that. And not, it's, I don't think of it in a negative way. It's just like, okay, well, it's, yeah, the film's view yeah. is clear. I think now. I'm realizing now we didn't, I don't think we did talk about this on the movie journal. We talked about it off the we movie journal. I think, my, yes, because I said, I hated it as much as I hate that rat at the end of the departed. Right. It's so on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a part where Do you still hate it that much. Uh, yeah, it's still really, okay. really uh, graded on me. And there's another part that I hated that I won't give the context because it's too um, um, specific to the end. But I'm just going to say that one person gives another person a gift. And the, and the other person says, I didn't think to get you anything. And the other person says, this is your gift. And then he yeah. looks off and says it again. This is your gift. And it's like, uh, you And like, while he, he delivers that line as best he can. Yeah, because yeah, it's great. It's, but it's it's like as soon as the one person said, I didn't think to get you a gift. Anyone who's been paying attention realizes what the other person is thinking, you know, 
he doesn't need to literally like vocalize. Yeah. This is your gift. Think, think how, I mean, given the actor that delivers that line, uh-huh. think of how much he could have done with just a look as if like, come on, <laughs> you know, uh, where it could be almost funny, but almost just like very poignant. Yeah. Just like, are you kidding me? Like, look at what you've done. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Especially since he has been a sort of taciturn character yeah. a lot up to that point, it would be make sense for him to not actually uh, say what he's thinking um, or what is obvious. Okay. Before we move on real quick, but you mentioned, you reminded me of something you said funny. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the same experience I had when I rewatched Lincoln. Okay. Another Steven Spielberg movie uh, that I liked more than this one. It's funnier the second time. There's mm-hmm. a lot of laughs in Bridges Spies. Yeah. It's, it's all this heavy stuff. Um, uh, and Spielberg is just, he's just a master of filmmaking. He knows exactly when to put in a moment. Um, and there's a few of them that there's near the end. There's, uh, Jesse Plemons just saying, what did he say? Hey powers. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very funny line. Um, but there's also a part where the, um, East German, uh, district attorney. I don't know if you remember this part. Okay. Is, Standing up and making is like, no, we will do it this way. We will do it this way. He's being very uh, stentorian and authoritative. Mm-hmm. And then the phone rings and he like gesticulates and like <laughs> picks up, like the phone rings twice. He picks up the phone and he goes, Ott, which is his name, mm-hmm. Ott. And then the, it's, it's the other phone that was ringing. It rings again. And like all the, all, all the like wind is taken out of his yeah. sails in that moment. Uh, hugely hilarious. Got a great laugh in the Do you the feel theater. like that, it, it is funny and it's delivered well. Um, the uh do you feel like the undercutting of his pompousness uh-huh. or or whatever you want to call it um do you feel like that's almost as on the nose as, as the fence jump no and i'll tell you why okay and this is getting into the specifics of the movie but not the spe- i mean it's not the plot don't worry we're not going to spoil it but um Tom Hanks character needs to make a connection to that guy's clerk mm-hmm. for the next scene. Right. So I think th- I noticed, and I guess this is the sort of things you notice. Um, they, uh, they share a look while this guy's being pompous. Yes. And so I think that, I, I think that scene, that guy like looking a fool is in there so that Tom Hanks and the clerk can have, can feel like they're on some sort of common ground. Like we're the real smart ones here, even though this guy's got all the power so that the scene in the hallway between just Tom Hanks and the clerk, uh, has, has a, a foundation, which speaks to this, uh, that idea actually that, that I think I, that I mentioned in my review on more than one lesson, I think you and I talked about, which is, uh, thematically it winds up bringing up some really interesting things like the idea of the, the individual above all, which is a very American idea, not, not above all, but you know what I mean? Just like if this was a film that was purely about how Soviet Russia was wrong and we were right, then it would only have that guy be bloviating and over the top and very pompous and then poke a hole in it, which it does. But he connects with somebody who is just as much communist as this other guy. And it's just like in the same way that he connects with Mark Rylance. It's just like you can't judge these people based on the country that they live in or even if if what that country is doing is very oppressive. Like you have when you get to an individual level, that's what matters infinitely more yeah. than what a person represents. Yeah. So we did yeah, talk about that. Right. We did talk about that in the movie journal because we yeah. talked about the. Um, uh, well, the guy who presents himself as a secretary at the Russian embassy in East Germany, but we later find out through the CIA is mm-hmm. the head of the KGB in East Germany. Right. Uh, it was, and I wish I, I forgot the actor's name again. Um, which I did last time, but he's fantastic. And but he, he has that line about, well, you know, what does it say? Like, we're just little men doing our jobs or something like yeah. that. Um, and that's both true and not true uh, in that moment. Yeah. I love that. You never quite know whether or not you can trust that character. Yeah. Uh, like he might be the most candid person in the film or he's moments away from killing you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, you have another, uh, thing you rewatched? I do. Uh, in the spirit of Halloween, Jen and I, we're going to watch the American the screen spirit of Halloween. Indeed. Right? Yes. Jen and I, we're going to watch the American scream as we do, as we have every Halloween for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was taken off Netflix. Ah, uh, that'll happen. Which bummed me out. I, that seemed like, that seemed like a, 
You should purchase it. I have purchased it. Oh, it good. is it is not arrived yet. Okay. Um but uh so instead we threw in another horror movie or Halloween movie that uh she and I both enjoy and I <clears throat> and I know you do not care for it, which is The Cabin in the Woods. Right. Which I I still I still enjoy it. I do feel like I can understand why horror people are, you know, felt gypped because it wasn't, you know, w- once it's, once it's really clear what's going on, um, mm-hmm. and it's clear earlier than one would think, um, then it does kind of undercut some of the horror, you know, but I think it then comes back to it, once it focuses back in on that main, the, the, the final girl, um, even as she's discovering so much more about the world that she's living in, um, it's not necessarily horror, but I'm at least invested and she is horrified at what she is seeing. And so I'm kind of back on board with that, with, with, with her then. Um, but yeah, I still enjoy what it's doing thematically. I enjoy its level of commitments. Um, to me, it's, it's certainly, it's not like it's funny games or anything, mm-hmm. but, uh, Oh, huh. that was the companion film when I did an episode about it on more than one lesson. Now that I think about it, um, it certainly is not that, but I do, I'm not opposed to a movie that gets the audience questioning. And again, as you and I've talked about, like, I don't think it's purely pointing a finger at the horror audience. I think it's looking at every audience in the world and what we demand and how rigid our demands are. Um, including mine. And so I like that kind of thing, uh, because I like to feel convicted to use a Christianese word. (laughs) And, uh, so anyway, I still, I still like it. I still, and I also enjoy the humor as well. You know, uh, Fran, Fran Kranz, that guy's poor name. Um, the part where, uh, he, he has to kill a zombie with a trowel, and uh-huh. at one point he's talking with her and then like the, the hand grabs him and he goes, he goes the fucking zombie arm. <laughs> <laughs> but then later on a security guard uh, has a gun pointed at them and then the, the arm grabs the guard and they're able to uh, knock him out. And he go, and as they leave, he goes, good job, zombie arm. <laughs> so like stuff like that's pretty funny. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a film that I still enjoy. And, uh, and I recommend, I feel like horror fans certainly would appreciate it more, but I feel like, I feel like comedy fans would like it too. And Joss Whedon fans. Yeah. But okay, we can move on. Uh, uh that's it for me. I don't have any TV to talk about. Do you have, oh, you, I know you wanted to talk about X-Files. Yeah. Right? I've been working my way through X-Files. Yeah. Um, There's something we were saying. And now I don't remember said, what it is. We might get there. Um, well, and, I think what you were saying, cause last week we talked about how you, uh, you're like someone who, you love, let's see, you love like German chocolate cake, but you're allergic to chocolate. And so you're, you are just gobbling up episodes of X-Files, but you don't like the stuff about aliens, which here's, is here's, uh, the me, engine of the show. Let me explain. The X-Files that I had seen before, it's when I had worked for a video update. So that should tell you how long ago it was. Um, about 16 years, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, and we had, you know, VHS tapes of the X-Files, but it wasn't season one. Like they didn't release shows right. yeah, like yeah. that. I remember there were Buffy tapes as yeah. well. That, so yeah. it was like, here's some best of, you know, but they don't yeah. say best of, you know, anyway. Uh, and so I rented a bunch of them and watched them. So I think I probably watched eight episodes, mm-hmm. but if you're not going to do the whole season, then it behooves you to focus on the monster of the weak ones. Right. So I went in knowing that there was the alien thing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is like, but even not, though I you did have not that- know it was going to be as big. I thought it was something they would touch on every sixth episode, seventh, maybe. And in the meantime, and also just what people had taught when I, when I talked to people about the X-Files, like, Oh, you know what episode I love is this one, this one, this one. They never mentioned alien ones. They mentioned the Peter Boyle episode. They mentioned, so did you get to that one? Not yet. No. Um, I'm well into season two now. In fact, I'm getting towards the end of it. So, and I think his episode is, is like four or something. Oh, but, um, so people often single out the episodes that are meant to be, that are standalone. And it's probably because they stick out, you know, they're not part of what I believe is called the myth arc. Okay. Um, and so, 
but what I will say is in regards to the alien stuff, uh, I'm not necessarily having to power through it like I was because now I know Mulder and Scully. Mm-hmm. I know, I know the myth arc a little bit better. So now it's like, okay, I may not care inherently about this, but I understand the effect it's going to have on people I care about. So do you generally not like alien like UFO type stories? Not really. Okay. What, why, what is that about? Why, uh, I don't know. I either want them killing me or like being, you know, I, I mean, I enjoy close encounters of the third kind. Uh-huh. I think maybe because like, and ET, I think because it's just like, okay, we're connecting, you know? Um, and th- there's abduction stuff in there. But I think when you try to make it seem like thrilling, I don't find it that thrilling. Hmm. Um, and I don't know why, you know, you get the predator out there, you get the xenomorph out there. Now we're talking <laughs> even independence day. It's like, Oh, UFOs. And they're going to kill us. Damn right. Um, I don't know what it is. It's, uh, oh, I, I wish just, I'd seen more X files. Uh, and I, and I've gotten listeners it. saying like, Hey man, stick with it and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. And I am sticking with it. And I do care more right. because our char- the, the characters that I have come to appreciate are getting more involved and they're sort of my entry point. But those first, the first few episodes that have to do with that, I'm still getting used to the cadence of the show mm-hmm. and the, the nature of the characters. And so they weren't quite the entry point that I needed, but they are now. And so I'm sure by season three, season four, um, maybe it'll be a thing that I'm like, you'll eager. want to believe too. I'll want, Absolutely. I think that's a good place to end.